The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Over the holidays, Wendy and I spent time in Tamales Bay. It rained the first couple of days, keeping us inside. I wrote up a sky report in my journal. Thick, heavy rain-filled clouds gather, casting deep shadows across the green hills and turning the bay a deep and ominous gray. White caps rip across the water and the winds whip through eucalyptus trees. A gang of crows takes to the sky, circling round before roosting on the tops of cypress trees. After two days of storm watching and lots of eating and reading, the sky broke and we headed out to hike the Drake Sestero Trail in Point Reyes National Seashore. The air was cold and clear and clean. The bright sun kept us warm as we walked. On our way back, we saw a man birdwatching on the bridge that crosses Home Bay. His binoculars focused on a white bird swimming on the water. I dug out my binoculars to see what drew his attention. I guessed duck. What kind of bird is that, I asked. Oh, it's a hooded merganser, he said, and went on to tell us about the bird's markings and migrations and mating habits. Beautiful duck, I said, showing off my deep knowledge of waterfowl. But instead of brushing us off, Mark invited us in, sharing more stories about birds in the bay. And soon, Wendy and I became the number one fans of the hooded merganser. It turned out that Mark got interested in birding after a breakup with a girlfriend in 2004. He turned his attention to ecology and ben began taking classes at City College. For a class project, he and his classmates, among them photographers, musicians, editors, and writers, and all bird lovers, decided to write a book about the birds at Heron's Head, a city park located in the Bayview between the Recycling Center and Hunter's Point. We listened, fascinated by his story and his love of birds. It was one of those unexpected, joyful encounters that comes when you least expect it. We said our goodbyes and gratitudes and headed on our way. Back at the parking area, we ran into Mark one more time. He came over to the car and handed me the book, A Field Guide to 100 Birds at Heron's Head. There was only one word of how I felt, overjoyed. I insisted he autograph it for me and promised I would head down to Heron's Head as soon as possible to begin learning about the birds in my extended backyard. The following week, book in hand, binoculars bouncing on my chest, I spent the morning at Heron's Head. In an hour, I found greater and lesser scop brown pelican, 
great and snowy egret in black-necked stilt and too many gulls to try and identify. What a joy! It never ceases to amaze me how a brief but spectacular close encounter, say one with a bearded and burly bird watcher, can change your life. In the days since meeting Mark and joining the Hooded Merganser fan club, I'm paying close attention to what brings joy into my life. The return to semi-lockdown and the heavy headlines have made it hard. But I keep searching to expand my joy playlist, one bird, one expected, unexpected close encounter at a time. Shortly after my birding adventure, I stumbled upon a story by Reverend Tish Warren Harrison, an Anglican priest, writing in the New York Times a piece entitled, How I Freed Up Time to Daydream. I love daydreaming. It is one of my great joys and secret pleasures these days. In an effort to make more room in her life, she decided to leave Twitter, that pesky bird, because it was taking up too much of her time. It was hard at first, but she noticed a change. Tish Harrison writes, but leaving small moments, empty, silent, and in some sense useless, is a tiny taste of a life wrapped in silence and mystery. In the same way our days, which are so full of work and thinking, of arguing and learning, of disappointments and confusion, of striving and creating, we must have moments when nothing much is happening. But leaving these small moments empty is what makes the difference between noise and music. The next day I wrote in my morning pages, maybe the thing is not to think so much about manufacturing joy than just keeping an open space for it to emerge and come into our lives. We need rest stops to dream. We need space for the close encounters that bring joy into our lives. <clears throat> On a recent hike in Reinhardt Regional Park, I shared with my friend that these days I feel like a, a pill bug. That armadillo-like creature that, when exposed, flips over and curls onto themselves, also known as con conglobulation, con con conglobation, I'm trying, conglobation, a fancy word that means to form a ball. We sat on a bench eating our lunch, listening to the birds whose names I don't know, calling out from the thick of the trees. As we talked about our pillbug tendencies, a group of hikers came by and said, did you see the ladybugs? No, no we hadn't. 
Turns out, just down the path from where we sat along the stream trail, a local resident named Jeremy Brotman built the Ladybug Hotel. That hotel, made partly of old cedar and redwood birdhouses, nestled between fallen trees and abundant fern, is where the ladybugs converge. You look carefully and find them, find them those two-spotted and five-spotted and three-branded ladybugs milling the hotel lobby and dining on aphids in their well-appointed rooms. Yes, we wanted to see that. No offense to the pill bug, but there's something joyful about watching a ladybug convention unfold before your very eyes. Seeing the colorful congregation of ladybugs mingle room, and room to room, thinking back to the crowd of pelicans and gulls, the ducks and egrets along the shores of Heron's Head, makes me wistful for church. I daydream about the joyful noise we make when we come together again, the singing, the sharing of meals, the occasional squabbling, the hopes and the vision that we want to bring to life. I miss it all. These unexpected encounters of late remind me of a poem by Barbara Cooker entitled, Sometimes I am startled out of myself. Like this morning, when the wild geese came squawking, flapping their rusty hinges, and something about their trek across the sky made me think about my life, the places of brokenness, the places of sorrow, the places where grief has strung me out dry. And then the geese come calling. Don't let lockdown keep you from looking up at the sky. Maintain safe distance, but don't close the door on an unexpected close encounter. Raise your joy receptors. Search out the sounds that will make your playlist richer. Strip your armor and take flight. Joy is calling to you. Make time to look and listen. You'll be startled by what it has to say. So many different metaphors have come to me about the pandemic. Like maybe it's like one big shared experience of being that frog in a pot where we slowly lose more and more verve, not really realizing it, or better yet, suffering some, from some equivalent of seasonal melancholy. And then right when the sun started to get stronger, the great hand of fate set the clock back by a couple of months, and we all got deflated a bit. But as someone who struggles actually a little bit with seasonal melancholy, slowing down a little energetically as the days get shorter, I happen to know there is a cure. Turn your face toward the sun. You know, how all those folks, myself included, have ways to make sure we get that full spectrum light 
that resets our bodies and our brains, either sitting in the sun intentionally for 15 or 20 minutes a day whenever the sun is strongest, or buying one of those silly visors or lights to read the morning paper by to make up for those days of low light. Well, you and I, we can turn toward the light too. We can choose to focus on what gives us life and pleasure in the midst of so much that's hard. Now, always, the truth is, I think, consciously or unconsciously, we do do that, like plants with that phototropic reflex, right? Who turn toward the sun, so do we. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's not necessarily conscious. We just gravitate toward that glass of wine at the end of the day or find ourselves binging that Netflix series, maybe Succession. who 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 would do that? It's a great series though, isn't it? I mean, who would do that? Early in the pandemic, my secret pleasure was watching disaster movies. Always popular, I think. I also think there's been a resurgence Just this week, I was in a hospital going to visit someone, and I walked by at 9 a.m. by a patient's TV just as a huge fireball was hitting planet Earth. The movie had the twin towers in the background of the New York scene of the disaster, so it was clearly a classic of the genre. But, I mean, we do feel a little better, don't we, when life is in the dumpster watching a fictional movie about when life quite literally is being destroyed by some great tsunami in the wake of a planet-ending strike of a comet or whatever that fireball was. But then again, last week we had a tsunami warning. You either have to laugh or cry. So after this last setback, when a friend asked me what gave me joy, and maybe I should focus on that, and I realized I had no idea, I hadn't really thought about what gave me joy, and then Allison was thinking about it, and we started talking about it, and I started paying attention to it, because truly, I'm not running around skipping and laughing in wild-eyed joy these days. I'm not there, but I did pay attention to what gives me pleasure, and for me, lately, I think it's boiled down to what my two favorite times of the day are. It's probably just a little thing, I guess, but this is what I've got right now. First, dinner time. Dinner time when we all sit down at the table, my husband, our dog attentively begging, and two teenagers, our daughter and our nephew who's living with us. These last two at the family table are increasingly busy, and so because we're not the center of their lives as much anymore, dinner time is when we actually get to catch up with them, which is great. And the question that we started asking as a family was, tell us a highlight and a low light from your day, and everybody would go around and do that. But over time, that's morphed, and we're really not asking anymore, not that anyone made a conscious decision about a low light, though everyone knows they can share one if they have one and they need to. And every time we do ask, 
what everybody's highlight for the day is, one person calling us back to that family ritual. There's this way that everyone gets quiet, and you hear this inhale of breath at the table. As everyone thinks, everybody runs through the day that's just passed with a kind of happiness or satisfaction comb to find the biggest Well, what do combs find in days that are nice? Flowers that dropped into your hair, I guess, would be the metaphor. And then what comes up? It's like sometimes it's a funny moment in a class or a hard thing that one of us was finally able to finish and feel good about, or a sweet moment when an underclass person at school reached out for support, or Sometimes it's just that bus that arrived right as you stepped up to the stop or how you got some gadget taken off the back of your braces, the gadget that constantly hurt your mouth, and so your life is a little more joyful and easy. And then how other stories inevitably turn and tumble out, like how I wanted to explain that there might be a mess in the kitchen when I was thinking through my day and was reminded that I needed to explain to people that, well, that I hadn't had a chance to clean it all up, but last week, Sunday, when Carmen got sick and I was so preoccupied, Sunday early morning, writing and pulling together the parts of worship that she was gonna lead, I forgot about the eggs that were boiling on the stove And do you know what? Do you know what happens to eggs that are left boiling in a pan after the water evaporates? I guess it's like a scientific home ec discovery. Well, what happened in my house last week was that one of the eggs exploded. And and when it did, the chalky egg yolk flew in little bits all over the stove and counters everywhere, and it stuck. And when I rushed in to see what the explosion had been and realized what had happened, I took the pan that had the two remaining eggs in it and I rushed it over to the sink and I filled it with water. And when I did so, the second egg exploded, blowing chalky egg yolk all over me, sticking to my hair and pajamas and the counter and the window behind the sink. And how on a day when COVID pulled the rug a little more out from under me, I stood in a kitchen covered with egg, egg quite literally on my face. And I had to laugh. I mean, you either laugh or you roll up like the pill bug, right? So better to think yourself in a Laurel and Hardy movie than in the one with the fireball hitting earth and telling it at dinner, all the stress and strangeness of the day and the morning evaporated and everybody laughing, which sometimes, if you let it in, I don't know, sometimes the worst moments of life and the moment that they happen with time you learn can be the funniest stories and the ones that bond you to one another as we make it through life. So dinner time. And if you ask me what my other favorite part of the day is, it used to be the early morning. It's the time when I get up before everyone else and I drink my coffee and I journal. 
But lately, lately and for a while, it's been the evening when everybody else is asleep and the dog is snoring at the foot of the bed and I'm reading my book by lamplight and everything is silent except for the background noise of the street and my blankets are tucked in around me and my teeth are brushed and the pillows are arranged comfortably and the night stretches out in its welcome, just me and my book. I love that time. It feels so beautiful and perfect to me. I wish some nights it would go on forever. But eventually, I get tired and I surrender myself to sleep, as we all do. And you know what? Both of those times, the morning with coffee and the evening in bed with my book, and dinner at the table, all of those times, pandemic hasn't changed them. There's probably a good chance I can have some version of them my whole life. And that is lovely. We were talking with FOMO yesterday with a friend. FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. And I suppose we all feel some of what we've missed out on. Time with family who are far away and friends. A chance to travel. Some time in live venues with arts and music and theater to transport us. I miss all of those. But I do wonder sometimes if a lot of what we mistake for the content of our lives is a little bit distraction. I thought the other day on my hike of how the trees and the mountains in their stately presence, oblivious to all the things that fill my days with worry, seemed to be whispering through the clatter of leaves and grasses. It's all good. Just this. Just this. Pandemic hasn't taken that away either. Maybe, in fact, it's making it easier to find. So I'll close with this other poem by Lynn Unger, who is a joy in my life. She's such a beautiful, accessible poet. This one is entitled Puzzle. Today, I mailed a package, walked over to get ice cream, coffee with those tiny chocolate flakes, then came home to a kitchen that was scented with gardenias that my neighbor cut for me yesterday. Here's the challenge. Count the blessings contained within this ordinary tale like the puzzle with all the triangles, the number you have chosen is almost certainly too low. Mm-hmm.